Hello and welcome back to Nick Tiffany's Movie Reviews in the podcast form. Today we are talking about the gargantuan, long-awaited sequel to Avatar, Avatar The Way of Water. A film that's already surpassed $2 billion at the box office. Uh, naysayers be damned. Doubters of James Cameron be damned. Uh, I mean, it's incredible what this movie has already done in such a short amount of time. Um... I was one of those weird people who went and saw Avatar probably six or seven times in the movie theaters when I was younger, uh, back in 2009. Um, I want to say I was probably still, like, end of middle school, almost high school at that point. Um, The movie blew me away when it came into theaters, and James Cameron was already a director whose work I was overly fond of at a young age. Um, Titanic was like burned into my core memories of uh, just one of the most devastating, <laughs> emotional, but also incredible action films I'd ever seen. Uh, you know, a two-part VHS, no, uh, no less. Uh, it was actually the first movie I bought with my, uh, the first thing I bought with my first work paycheck uh, when I was probably 15 or 16 was Titanic when it first came out on Blu-ray. I think it was one disc, maybe it was two still, but um, but James Cameron from Terminator movies to Aliens, True Lies, I mean, he always delivers uh, the abyss, he's pushing the boundaries of what's possible in film and with technology, and it was really awesome some years back at the Experience Music Project uh, down in Seattle, they had an Avatar exhibit with some of the motion capture technology, some of the mech suits there, and they also had a book, The Futurist, all about James Cameron and essentially chronicling each film he's done and what new technology he kind of pioneers to actually make that film possible. Um, whether it was the CG work in Terminator 2 with uh, the ability to almost have that liquid state creating um, physical objects or changing his uh, dynamics, um, The Abyss, filming underneath, uh, <laughs> filming inside of a decommissioned, you know, radioactive tower, like nuclear tower almost, that they filled with thousands and thousands of gallons of water, creating underwater camera units. Um, so now that we're at 2022, you know, this is a sequel that's coming well over a decade later. We knew there were going to be sequels, but we just never thought we'd actually get them. So here we are. With Avatar The Way of Water, another three-hour-plus installation into the Avatar franchise, and it's better than the first. And I don't say that lightly as someone who really, really enjoyed the first and actually went back and saw it again when they released it briefly in 4K, I want to say back in September, and it's interesting, um, not quite like Top Gun Maverick, um, but I think the best thing that Avatar The Way of Water does is it really brings in a solid story. Um, You know, the first film, we're meeting Jake, we're meeting the creatures and people of Pandora, learning about the Na'vi. Um, And, you know, it's a singular, militant focus with everything that's going on. This time around, Jake and Nitiri have a full-on family. They've got four kids, um, two boys, probably in their teenage years, um... And two daughters. One who, as the film explains, is almost a spiritual daughter of uh, of Jane, 
who was uh, Sigourney Weaver's um, avatar's body. You know, when she linked up with Awa, something happened, and so, uh, and it's Sigourney Weaver voicing this uh, avatar child as well, this Navi child. Um, and then they have their youngest daughter as well. Um, so, you know, we're seeing them almost 18 some years later. Um, Jake is certainly more of a militant father, you know, who certainly can't escape the training that he, uh, he once had as a Marine. And so, you know, he trains his sons to be tough, but also to kind of stay out of the line of fire. Uh, they certainly don't want to risk any of them because there are still sky people. They have come back looking for more resources, whether it's the unobtainium or this time their new X variant thing that will help them make money back on earth or whatever, you know, it's, they don't gloss over it as quickly as some of the unobtainium, but it's kind of just as silly a little bit. Um, but because of this, the sky people returned to Pandora led by avatar Navi Quaritch, who, uh, if you remember, we saw him die at the very end of the first avatar, our Colonel who, uh, fought tooth and nail against the Navi after destroying their home. Um, so now the Sky People are back, led by an army of avatars of all these grunts who really only know that Jake Sully's the guy responsible. So here's your conflict, essentially. When they're going to come in, we're going to hunt him down, we're going to hunt down his family. And that's where most of the film's drama um, sort of lies. Um, as they're being hunted, as they're being tracked down, how do you keep yourself and your family safe? Especially as we see, you know, these are, you know, typical kids and teenagers. You know, they don't always listen. They're going to go do things that you, they know they're not supposed to do. Um, and there's so many dramatic elements that this film has because of the situations that these kids find themselves in. Um, not as similar to it, but similar in that sense where you're like, oh God, I really care for these kids and I just know something horrible is going to happen. Um and so in that sense, you know, you've got Jake, who clearly is a strong warrior, but Natiri, uh, played by Zoe Saldana, I mean, she is fierce as ever, um, a mother of four here, and clearly a protector of her family's safety, still the only one in the family, obviously, who is true Navi, which is something that's uh, brought up to the characters throughout the film as well by other Navi, clearly, that you know, you've got weird alien fingers, you've got this extra fifth finger, so we know you're not indigenous necessarily. And so um, as Jake and his family are forced to leave the forest because it's no longer safe, they need to move out to sea. And so they seek out some of the, uh, the, Metakain, the, the Metakaina clan out uh, in a system of thousands of islands off the uh, oceans of Pandora. Um, and, you know, just like the first time around, the movie is just visually stunning. Um, you would not know that most of this was filmed indoors on a green screen with digital effects. Um, their nomination for cinematography, um, at least in my own categories, uh, it's spectacular. 3D was just as bright as it would have been otherwise, which is something that's been a huge step up for 3D films in the last 10 years. Not that there have been many, but... Uh, they certainly nailed that this time around because there wasn't a moment where you lost some of the color on the screen because you had to have the glasses on. Um, and it was immediately noticeable as they join this water clan. 
some of the biological differences between the species of Navi. Those from the forest have these brighter, kind of yellow eyes, much like an animal might need to see in the forest at night. Uh, and the Metcaina, you know, they've almost got their pinky finger, or what would be their pinky or thumb or something, you know, they almost are whiter hands that are used as fins. Their tails are different, so they can move around the water quicker. Um, the more you spend time with them, the more you see them use these small little evolutionary differences uh, based on where they're at. and uh, It's really fascinating because just like the first film, there was so much time and energy spent into creating not only a realistic-looking world, but one that makes sense in terms of science and biology as we know it as well. Um, keeping with that, you know, some of these creatures in the water, you know, much like dolphins or others, are some of the truly smartest creatures on the planet with more brain functionality than most people are aware of. Um, so that leads to some really interesting sequences and discussions. Um, because once you kind of get past the first third of the movie, um, we really start to move into the water. You kind of have your newer, you know, I don't want to say they rehashed a lot of the first film here. They take a lot of beats. They borrow a lot of beats from the first film, whether it's learning how to ride your, uh, you know, your dragon-like creature. And this time, rather than flying ones, they're going to be underwater. Uh, these ewes, as they called them. Um and of course, you watch these young characters trying to, you know, the, the parents are like, hey, we're, we are guests here. Be on your best behavior and learn their ways. Make yourself valuable. Make yourself useful here. Um, and so you're watching these forest Navi trying to hang with <laughs> the water Navi, and it's just not quite working. Um, it was funny. They even have a moment where underwater they're signing to Jake's kids and the kids are like, you know, I don't, I don't understand this finger talk that you guys are doing. Um, but it's just something they never thought of before because you don't have to use that in the forest. You know, they rely on a series of whistles and clicks to kind of clue you in or let you know where they might be or what's happening. And so showcasing those differences, I thought was really, really cool from a, a scientific standpoint, um, in this film. Um, and they also bring in uh, another type of creature, the pokun, who are uh, closer to like a whale, I guess, in terms of their biology. But uh, but they are closely, closely um, related to the Medkayina people in terms of their spiritual connection that they have. Um, and so really, much like the first film, this one leads heavily into a spiritual side of respecting and understanding nature this time it being the ocean and the waters, learning what exactly we get and we give when we're born and what the ocean can give us and how water plays a role in all of our lives, throughout our lives. Um, and I think with this film especially, given that James Cameron is such a fan of the ocean and is such a fan of pushing beyond what we know of the deep sea and creatures down there and understanding bioluminescence and how things can power themselves with light or what creatures need to survive down there. Um, there's a, a great sequence as you're first getting underwater and looking at all these new creatures and fish that they've created for the film. and It's absolutely gorgeous. Um, and for a three-hour and 16-minute film, I wish I wish we would have had a little bit more time spent with uh, 
those deep sea creatures, if only because it was just so wonderful to live in that scene, kind of like James Cameron's been saying a lot in his interviews, is movies are too quick to uh, to let you spend a moment with a character before you have to be doing something. You know, you don't often live in a scene with them while they're experiencing awe or anguish or, you know, they're being stunned by these fish. And they do a good job for a lot of this film to uh, to spend some time in those moments. But that particularly for a film about the water and everything I think people were kind of expecting and hoping for that you'd see under there, I wish we would have had a little bit more time um, underneath there. Uh, because they do spend quite a bit of time in the the film's finale, um, which almost borrows from Titanic a little bit. Um, I mean, it's phenomenal action. Don't get me wrong. Um, but it is a long finale. It's gripping and captivating, but you are aware of the time that's passing. Um, and so, I, you know, there's a tight 20, 25 minutes you realistically could shave off of this film. Um, but that's also when you get into the whole discussion of editing and there are already a few moments in this film that feel a little choppily edited. Um, you know, I know that time is money and you're trying to get the the best possible product out there. And I know there's a lot that they've worked on for so many years that you want to put out there. Um, but I just, I don't know. There are moments that just do not flow well together at all or a conflict resolution that goes immediately into something else. Um, like not even skipping a beat but just jumping to a whole other kind of vibe and energy. I uh, I don't know. There were moments where it also felt like, and I saw this movie the first time in IMAX 3D, and then the second time at a Cinemark XD um, in 3D, both of which had the high frame rate, um, which, uh, which I don't believe the non-3D versions of the film had, interestingly. Uh, but essentially the high frame rate that they're working with. Um, Peter Jackson's experimented with it for The Hobbit. Um, Ang Lee's done a few movies um, kind of like that, that Gemini Man um, and that Super Bowl halftime walk show, uh, the Billy Flynn. Um, it, it does not look great above water. It's like any time you walk into a store and you see all the TVs on display and they're super high quality, the filmmaker mode is on, and it's like the motion smoothness. It just looks a little unrealistic, or too realistic, because it's moving too smoothly or quickly, and for anybody that plays a lot of video games, with the high frame rate outside of the water in this film, there were so many moments where I thought, okay, this almost looks like a video game loading screen, or this looks like a, a cut scene for about 30 seconds before we dive into an actual game. And, um, and I know I wasn't the only one who's had this criticism or thought. And I think for the, the uninitiated who might not be familiar with that frame rate, you know, maybe the movie looked a little bit quick in some places or looked a little bit more CGI in a couple spots. But, um, but I don't know. It was, it was odd. Um, their explanation for using that frame rate was it really helps accelerate the uh, the character's motions underwater, and it's how they were able to create such a realistic looking flow while they're underneath on their uh, on their different creatures, or if they're just swimming normally, um, because people swim so slow, um, the advanced frame rate makes it look like it's one fluid motion. So underwater, everything looks spectacular. You would never guess that they weren't filming 
too quickly. You know, you would think that these were their actual motions and they're moving that fast. Um, and that's where so much of the film just benefits from how seamless the technology looks. Uh, there's a character, his name is Spider, and his, his explanation is he was a, uh, a child born about a year or two before the whole battle with the Sky People and the Navi clan. And once they sent home all those Sky People, you can't put a baby in cryo, I guess. Um, I say I guess, I probably should have known that based on any other science fiction movie. But this kid grew up there, and he grew up with the scientists. But because, you know, the, the Sullys are nice, they let him hang around their family, and so they're like, you know, he speaks fluent Navi, and he runs and hunts just like the, uh, the Navi kids, so he's kind of like their, their adopted human brother, um, whom some of them enjoy, some of them maybe not so big a fan of. I'm um, looking at you, Natiri, but that's for a, a spoiler episode, I would say. But Spider is almost always the only human character in any given scene, um... And having seen the movie twice, you know, I was looking online through Twitter, looking at people's reactions and reviews, and someone had highlighted the point that you would never guess that he wasn't filming in a forest, in the water, on a boat, in any of these locations, with these 8 to 10 foot tall creatures. Uh, there's never a moment where I didn't think that, oh, this was all filmed in the same spot, and I'm sure he filmed with them, and... You know, obviously I know there are actors playing these characters, but even then, they looked even more realistic this time around than the last time. Um, and so, you almost forget how much work is going on behind the scenes to create all this, and then it's like, oh, the one real thing here is that kid. Um, that kind of blew my mind, watching the movie again, because um, it's just incredible where James Cameron's been able to take us uh, with this technology. Um, and so, you know, they try to shoehorn in a little, of course, spiders, the child of, uh, of Quaritch. And so, you know, there's, there's a little bit of extra drama, I think, that's inserted into the script just to give you some bigger stakes. Um, it's kind of one of those movies that feels like it has like four different endings where you're like, okay, and stop. Oh, you're still going. Okay. I'm sure there's only a couple more minutes that we could uh, spend doing this. And then you're like, okay, well, that's a great place to end. Oh, and we're still going. Um, and so, you know, the the last 45 minutes really feels like this. Um, and again, it's not to take away, it's a great finale. Um, and the action in this film is kick-ass. Um, especially in a loud theater. The, the effects, the guns the creatures, the creative battleships and submarine little guys that they've made. I'm like, these things are awesome, and they sound awesome. They look awesome. Um, but I just, you know, maybe we didn't need as much, it, which seems weird because I think I came into the film thinking, much like the first one, if we're rehashing a lot of these same beats, there's going to be a giant battle at the end, and we're going to have thousands of Navi fighting thousands of sky people in the water or underwater and and I think going in with that expectation maybe dampen not dampen my first viewing of the film um you know after so many years of waiting thinking about what could possibly come in this film or where uh where the water could take them and knowing that 
yeah, okay, it looks like it's borrowing a little bit from the first film, at least. I was expecting some all-out war at the end, something crazy Lord of the Rings style. It doesn't happen, and that's not a bad thing, though, and I don't want that to be a detractor for anyone, because when I went and saw it again, I enjoyed it a hell of a lot more second time around. My gripes were far fewer. Um, Still some runtime tightness I feel like they could work with, Um, but the, the film just looks and sounds spectacular. Um, there is a full-fledged story this time around. Uh, really interesting emotional characters that they bring into the fold. And they continue, I think, laying a really good groundwork of this whole connection through nature and respecting and loving the world around us and what happens when you don't. Um, there are some pretty brutal sequences in this movie as well when it comes to you know, the killing of some of these sea creatures, whales perhaps in particular. Um, and all I got to say to that is as brutal as it is to watch, it's one of those moments that feels essential though, because this is just a movie and as horrifying as this process looks in a movie, it's even worse what's happening to some of the marine life out there all over the world. Um, and so, you know, this is James Cameron again, I know some people will say he's a little too on the nose, but uh, we have the power, we have the voices, you know, we can stop some of these atrocities from going on across the world in the waste. Uh, There's a great moment where they just discuss the waste that goes into so much of this hunting for, you know, a minuscule amount of fluid or a minuscule amount of fish scale or something, um, or dorsal fins or anything like that. Um... And it's just disgusting. Um, and the film does a, <laughs> a great but really tough job of, of showing that uh, that reflection of some of our realities to us. And so, I don't know, you know, the movie, it's, it's got a lot to say. Uh, it certainly leaves itself open for a sequel. As we know, we've got Avatar 3, 4, and 5 pretty much lined up for uh, every other year, almost through 2030. Um, you know, this is definitely one of those movies I can't wait to watch on DVD. I'm still waiting on the 4K disc for, uh, the first Avatar. You know, James Cameron's got Titanic 25th anniversary coming out in 4K 3D, um, on Valentine's Day. So, uh, I know he's really been churning through a lot of getting those processed to 4K. So hopefully we'll get that soon because this movie, The Way of Water, it's not leaving theaters anytime soon. I doubt you're going to see it on VOD before the summer. Um, This movie's just got ridiculous legs. It just keeps making money, and I don't think that's going to stop. And if they were smart, they'd keep it in theaters, just like Top Gun. Um, You know? Top Gun only just started going on to streaming platforms. I want to say end of November, start of December. Um, And, you know, it's still probably popping up in theaters now that the Oscar nominations have come out. But, But I don't know. Avatar 2, The Way of Water, better than the first. I think I'm able to look back now and also say that the first was good. Maybe not totally exceptional in terms of its storytelling, but uh, this film was a significant step up from the first. So if you were a fan of the first one, if you're a fan of the ocean, if you love a visually appealing movie, or if you love just a phenomenal action movie that really doesn't let up, The Way of Water has to be seen on the biggest screen the brightest, the loudest possible 
theater setting that you can find. Um, this is why we go to the movies. And watching this opening night with a packed crowd, watching the IMAX trailer for Mission Impossible and all these things, I mean, the audience was psyched. And by the time the film rolls around, everybody was gripped. Everybody was into it. It was just such a fun experience. Um, so if there is one film this season that you can still probably see in the theaters at any time, it'd be Avatar The Way of Water. <laughs> Thanks again for listening, you guys. And uh, we'll be back with the, the next theatrical film you ought to check out before it leaves.